If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. You long for a deep, fierce love, the stuff of legends. But overwhelm, fear, and doubt keep holding you back. But this is your life and your marriage. This is the legacy you will be remembered for. So we are on a mission to inspire and challenge you to live the adventure of a legendary marriage. This is episode 36 of the Legendary Marriage Podcast, and we're your co-hosts, Danielle and Justin Williams. And this is the podcast for couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage. And we know what it's like to want a great marriage, but you're not quite sure where to start. So every week, we're bringing you inspiration, encouragement, practical ideas, and of course, a challenge that'll help you build more connection and intimacy in your marriage. And we'll have a whole lot of fun and laughter along the way. It is still hot in here. Well, that's because um, it is 100 degrees and it is Austin, Texas, honey. And our AC broke the other day. Well. And then they came and fixed it. <laughs> and then it worked. And then it broke again. And then they came back and fixed it. But they didn't really fix it. I think, they just kind of temporarily fixed it. <laughs> I think there's probably duct tape up there and some bailing wire. And so wire. I, all I hear, I hear the fan blowing in the background. And I just hear ching. That's just summer in Austin, Texas. Oh my gosh. Well, you know what? I mean, I feel like AC breaking is sometimes inevitable in the summer. Like every summer, I just kind of expect it at some point. But you know what? I feel like I'm kind of better in the heat than you are, honey. You're better at everything than I am. <laughs> no. You're a better woman than I am, Dana. Well, no. I mean, I grew up with no air conditioning, and I would sleep oh when gosh, it was like thought, 90 degrees. Thought. Well, now, to be fair, I did in a way, too. You did? Yes. My parents, my dad had this super, like, he was all about energy efficiency and everything. And so he was like, he had an mm-hmm. undersized AC unit because he wanted it to run more so that it would remove more humidity because humidity is what makes you okay, feel Okay, please hot. stop. My brain's hurting. it was hurting. always at like 85 degrees in the house. And so it was like, eh. So as soon um, as I was old enough to have a car, I was like just in my car all the time with the AC cranked. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Um, so we did go to the, like the coldest swimming hole ever. Yes. It's like the polar plunge in the middle of the summer. It's called Barton Springs pool here in Austin down, down near Zilker park. Yeah. And the water's like 50 or 60 degrees. Yeah. It's crazy cold, but, um, it was nice because we were about to sit out on the hill to watch the wizard of Oz. Very oh, first the sun will come out too. Oh wait, no, that's not it. I think that's Annie, honey. Uh, somewhere. But the girls were the, the girls were infected with the theater bug. They were already like, we want to be on the stage. It's a good place to be. I know, and it was it's in their blood because you were a theater man yourself in, at a young age. I feel like so. I should break into song. The theater man song. I was a theater man back in the days. I was a theater man in every way. <laughs> um, okay. I was a theater man. I danced and sang. I did jazz hands and something else. I don't know. Anyway. Um. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was all impromptu for uh, those of you who are wondering. And the funny it thing was, was impromptu. Extemporaneous from my wit. Anyway. You are you are pretty witty, honey. Um, maybe it's because you read so much. You're a reader. And <laughs> I I'm, am. I am. We both enjoy reading. I'm more of an audiobook kind of girl, and you're a... Well, 
you do audiobooks I, too. I love audiobooks. What I do is when the audiobook is really good, I then buy the book. And I read the book. Yeah, so that and you can highlight it. And, and when it's something really, really great, I will read the book while listening to the audio and highlighting and noting at the same time. Are you the same? I turn into a total nerd. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what to say to that. But um, there was an article that I was reading about a husband and a wife that were running a little experiment. And they were reading to each other each night out of a book before they went to bed. Uh, feels a little awkward, but okay, go on. Honey, have an I'm, open I'm mind. Just, I, no, no, I'm like, I, I'm there. I'm just, it just feels, my cynic, my little like, oh, that sounds kind of cheesy, kind of kicks in. Well, I you don't have that. to read like Nicholas Sparks or anything if you don't want to. I mean, it doesn't have to be like Bridges of Madison County. Is that from Nicholas Sparks? How old are you? I don't know. But what they found was three things. They said it fostered connectedness. Okay, sure. Like, you know, you're just laying there next to each other and it's kind of like a little back and forth. Um, And also they said it was more of like a vulnerable, quiet moment, more than like watching TV or sitting on your phone or something like that where you're just kind of... You know, sharing the same space. It's like you're zoned in on something that's not your spouse. Yeah. Right. It was like you were actually speaking to the other person, even though you're just reading. So that's kind of sweet. And also, this is really cool, too. It said um, that it ignited conversation, you know, outside of the huge. Yeah. Because I know a lot of couples. When you say huge, you mean usual? Honey, you know, I mean, okay. Huge is usual. Okay. And, um, but it's cool too, because sometimes couples get stuck in the, we just talk about the same boring old thing all the time, but bills and chores and the kids and bills and chores and the kids. And and we don't know what else to talk about. So, Hey, we've been there. (laughs) Did you take out the trash? Did you take out the trash? And, um, so now you got something new to talk about. Talk about your Nicholas Sparks book. This is so key because this, this whole month we're going to be talking about personal growth Mm -hmm. over in our Facebook community. And it's, here's the thing. Everyone is growing. Mm -hmm. So that moment when you look across the room and you go, do I even recognize that person, your spouse? Mm. Like, you're not the same person I married. Exactly. They're not. And neither are you. And so what we want to do. Because you're always growing. Yeah. We want to create two things. We want to help you get intentional about how you're growing. Mm -hmm. And we want to help you do it together. Yeah. Grow together. So we've got a little freebie over on legendarymarriage.com called The Five Essential Books to Make Your Marriage Legendary. I'm not going to lie. The book nerd in me is super excited about this. Woohoo! So now you can read them yourselves or you can sit down and read them at night together very sweetly like this couple in the article. And so, for the record. Yes. Kindle, iBooks, audiobooks, mm-hmm. paperback hardcover, it don't matter. It's all acceptable. It's all good stuff. You could read People Magazine if you wanted to. Well, um, nah. gar- garbage in, garbage out, but that's a whole other story. Well, yeah, I guess Reading, that's not really growing So yet. Uh, getting intentional about, about, about growth, uh, being intentional about what you're reading mm-hmm. is, is one of the most powerful ways to, to grow in the ways that you want to. Yeah, and the thing is, yeah, everybody's growing, um, and so today we have on the podcast, we have Brian King oh, and he's yeah. talking about how to grow in your parenting. And he talks about how to make some really intentional decisions 
um, about how you're parenting, you know, sometimes you can kind of just let things happen and you're not quite sure, sure what's going on. And you're like, man, okay, I got to focus up here on this parenting thing. But he just really gives you some inspiration to give yourself some grace as a parent, because sometimes we can be pretty hard on ourselves. Yes. And um, actually also to teach your child how to give themselves grace too, um, especially when they're pretty hard on themselves or um, can demand perfection. But the truth mm-hmm. is imperfection is the norm. And he really breaks that down for us. So today on the show, let's welcome Brian King. <sighs> So we are joined on the podcast today by Brian R. King. He teaches compassionate parenting to parents raising all kinds of children, including kids with ADHD, Asperger's, or chronic illness. And um, he is a professional workshop facilitator and keynote speaker. He has a master's degree in social work and the father of three amazing sons. Welcome, Brian. Well, hello, Danielle. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So you have three sons. Tell us about your kiddos. Well, my kiddos have raised me to be the dad they need me to be. Oh. They're all challenging in their unique ways. They all have Asperger's and ADHD. Wow. Uh, The oldest was just diagnosed, I think, earlier this year with dyslexia, just like good old dad here. And the younger two are also diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is one of the many wonderful things I've been gifted with because of the recessive end of my family gene pool. Oh, what, is, what kind of side effects does that have, the um, Ehlers-Danlos? It's a connective tissue disorder, which means uh, one of the genes responsible for creating collagen sucks. Oh. <laughs> it, it, it does it very poorly. So in our case... There are different types of, of EDS. In our case, our ligaments and tendons are very poorly collagenated, if that's a word. So they hyperextend, they're too slack. Our joints aren't very stable. In my case, because I'm way more advanced in age, I have joints that slip out of place regularly. Oh my goodness. Including my collarbone, my thumb, my, the, the bones in my feet partially dislocated and had to be popped back. But my boys, because they're younger, right now they're just really stretchy and bendy and, and don't have the dislocation stuff yet. Okay. So they could be like gymnastic stars or something like that. Super flexible. Well, cir- circus freaks, maybe. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but they, they had to stay away from the athletics because there's just too oh. much of a risk. Right, right. That makes sense. And so um, you have all these diagnoses. And so you have the Ehlers-Danlos and you have, what are the other diagnoses that you've had over the years here? I have ADHD, dyslexia, the Ehlers-Danlos. And as of Tuesday, I have, what are they? I had to remember there's so many words in it. It's, it's a form of multiple sclerosis is what it is. It's relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis. Now, I'm just curious, when you started getting these diagnoses yourself, what was, you know, what was your life like then? How did you react to, you know, having these diagnoses that a lot of times people think are, you know, just kind of stop their heart in the moment? Like, how did you deal with those? Well, the ball started rolling when I was 18. My graduation present from high school was stage three testicular cancer. 
Oh, my. So I spent the summer after graduation in chemotherapy and watching my social circle disintegrate and having all of my values thrown into question. And my identity kind of imploded during that experience. Mm -hmm. And I had to rebuild myself, who I thought I was, what relationships meant to me. And that was really, really hard work and took, required a very deep dive into my heart, my being and everything. And that kind of set me on the road of constant reflection and introspection and not wanting to be helpless and wanting to be in charge of my life and proactive. So because of that, I grew into this mindset of kind of being bulletproof. Mm -hmm. You know, after staring death down and surviving it, you're kind of, you're, I wouldn't say you're ready for anything, but you are more prepared to bounce forward from it instead of being shattered by it. Wow. I bet you in those moments, you never thought you were going to be a life changer in the area of parenting. You may have thought I may never have kids. At that I, abs I absolutely thought that because the doctors told me I probably wouldn't. Wow. Between the surgery, because I, I have one left. <laughs> between, the between the surgery and the how strong the chemotherapy was that they gave me, they said, the likelihood is that I would not have kids without help. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah. here I am all these years later with three boys. Yeah. And you have three boys. And mm -hmm. so how did you get into, you know, you're a keynote speaker, you're a, you're an expert, you're an author in parenting, you, um, you're a coach, you're a social worker. How did you get into this whole thing from that college college boy to all, all you know the the whole life-changing compassionate parenting guy you are today i discovered mindfulness and meditation when i was going through chemotherapy because mm -hmm. i just needed something to handle the anxiety and the anger and the uncertainty and going through the library one day i discovered buddhist thinking and zen and all that and began practicing on my own so my journey towards a much more relaxed, compassionate life, mm -hmm. accepting the things you cannot change. That began way back when I was 18. And when my oldest son began first grade, we, he was really smart, you know, very precocious. We thought nothing of it. We thought he was a typical kid. But mm -hmm. when he went into grade school, he began having so many huge problems, you know, raging OCD, panic attacks, would, you know, very, very rigid and flexible in his thinking, big social problems. And his teacher suggested he may be somewhere on the autism spectrum. So we had him assessed and sure enough, he was. But the school didn't want to do anything to support him. Mm. They thought you know, we should just medicate him and tell him to sit down and be a good boy. And they didn't want, in spite of the teacher, the teacher wanted to do more, but the school administration was very ignorant and didn't want to do more. So he was thrust into crisis pretty quickly. And I had a day job and I was being called three to four times a week to intervene when he was having one of his panic attacks. And of oh, course wow. it was interfering with my job. My boss was getting upset with me and my wife, my now ex-wife kind of checked out. Mm. You know, she wasn't involved in this process at all. So it was all on me to make sure that my oldest boy Zach's needs got met. And one of the things I did was start to go, starting to go to a parent support group, thinking I would learn a lot from these folks. Mm -hmm. Well, 
with my own natural tendency towards introspection, which started again with the cancer, right? wanting to be much more self-aware and me having some Aspergian tendencies myself, I heard them talking about their kids and what their kids want. And well, when my kid does this, this is what it means. And I'm sitting there shaking my head like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Then I started raising my hand and saying, can I make a suggestion? You know, can I offer you some ideas? And it got to the point where every meeting started with, I have a question for Brian. Wow. And when they found out I was a social worker, they assumed that I did this for a living because I was so good at helping them understand their kids. And I said, no, I have a day job. I'm here trying to you know, figure this all out like you are. And a group of them essentially demanded that I open an office so they can bring their kids to me because the people they were working with weren't helpful. Wow. So did you say goodbye to that day job? It took me a while because I liked the security. Sure. It was familiar, the paycheck, all that stuff. But things became too miserable at work because of my boss wanting me to turn off the family stuff and just focus on business. Zach was in crisis. I wanted to have the flexibility to be more available for him. So I figured, what the heck? I'll give it a shot. I found some inexpensive office space. I hung out my shingle. I worked five days a week after my regular eight-hour shift and half days on Saturday. And in four months, I replaced my daytime income. Wow, in four months. Yep, because once the word got out, what I was doing and how effective I was, the floodgates opened. And was that compassion, compassionate parenting back then? Back then, it was much more tactical. You know, right. when your kid does this, you do that. And a lot of translation. This is what your kid means when he's saying this or doing that. And trying to bridge the gap and help them understand each other's sides. But the compassionate parenting... Yeah, it's about compassionate parenting. Yeah. The compassionate parenting, in part, is an extension of my own growth. When I go through some evolutions and changes as, as I'm adjusting to the challenges of my own life, that naturally starts to flow into my work. And one of the things I seem to spend so much time on is how often parents and kids just mercilessly beat themselves up. Mm, no grace. You know, I'm such a screw up. I should know this. You know, other other parents know better and they're so much better than me. And, and the kids are thinking I'm stupid. I'm not normal. Everybody else has a better life. My peers don't have to work as hard. And so much of it is that just endless self-criticism. And I began spending a lot of time on teaching them to really embrace their humanity as the norm, as opposed to this perfection they were all seeming to strive for. Wow. And I bet, I bet you that gives them a lot more confidence and peace and just like, hey, we can roll with the punches here. And when they realize that imperfection is the norm, showing up a teachable student who is going to trip, who is going to fall, who's going to pick themselves up and bounce forward and say, yeah, that is kind of how it works, isn't it? Mm. I mess up because I don't know everything. I make assumptions because that's what people do. And when I assume wrong and feelings are hurt, I apologize. I ask for forgiveness and we move on from there. 
And in many ways, these are alien concepts because humanity in itself is insecure. Mm. We're walking around anxious and afraid of criticism and being left out and all that other stuff. And it drives us for this perfection that will prevent us from being rejected or criticized or anything. And in the process, we become our own worst enemy and never learn to love ourselves. So we have to come back to that compassion where we can look at ourselves and say, you got this. Don't yeah. sweat it. This is, the, this is the ride. This is the deal. This is the human condition. It's okay. And I've, I'm sure a lot of times other people give you more compassion than you do yourself. Like, you know, your, your other parents in your group are like, oh, Brian, you're, you got this in the bag, man. You're doing it great. And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, yeah, the life is a roller coaster. Oh. Now, what we really want to do is minimize the intensity of the swings. Mm-hmm. It going really, really high and then crashing down. It might be great for an amusement park, but it sucks for parenting. Sure. Now so I want to try and keep things more even. I'm wondering, like, I love the idea of the mindfulness and just, you know, building up your self-esteem and how lucky your kids are to have you as like the expert and the parent. But I'm wondering, have your kids ever dealt with, you know, bullying or being made fun of or any of that kind of thing? And for the sake of transparency here, a couple weeks ago, my oldest tried to commit suicide. He almost succeeded. Oh, my goodness. Because even in my own family... With everything I know, I had some blind spots. Wow. And part of transparency is knowing that you don't know everything, that you screw up. And when you do, you've got to completely own it and say, never again. I messed up. I missed something. And he's doing a lot better. Yeah. You know, he's seen an outside counselor. Communication between he and I is much better. But again, it's, it's about brace embracing that humanity that I don't know everything I couldn't possibly. And it's not my job to, it's my job to be a human being. And you know what? Thank you so much for being so transparent about that. I'm sure there's other parents out there that have dealt with, maybe it's themselves or maybe it's their kids being extremely depressed or suicidal, or how do you um, love your kid and love yourself through that kind of extreme situation? Well, when things are intense like that, it's because there are needs not being met, Mm. plain and simple. When you're sad, when you're angry, those are human emotions that come and go. Mm -hmm. But whenever you get stuck in them, you're unable to bounce forward and be resilient. There is an unmet need. Mm. So that's where you need to step in and say, what's needed here that's not happening? And identify it and do something about it. Right. Had you, like, I'm sure there are parents out there that have noticed some, like, odd or off behavior with their kids. And what advice would you have for them if you kind of notice that there's something that doesn't seem quite right? It's kind of tricky, depending on the kid you're dealing with, because a lot of kids will poo-poo any kind of help and say, everything's fine, leave me alone, there's no difficulty, then I coach them to ask some probing questions such as, oh, so just to make sure you're saying that you like the way your life is going. Mm. Am I hearing you correctly? Because what you want them to do, you want to open up that door so they can say, 
no, I'm, I'm really ticked off. Leave me alone. I'm sick of people getting on my case. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't notice that you felt that way, that people were getting on your case. Now, am I one of those people? Yeah, you are. You're always bugging me. Again, I'm real sorry. That was not my intention. If I were doing right by you, what would I be doing differently? And they might say, well, I want you to, to you know, leave me alone. Okay. So leaving you alone means what? Does it mean not caring about you, not asking about your day, not making dinner? Tell me what that looks like. So then you bring up to them the absurdity of that isolation, of that request. Mm, yeah. So there's as much an art to this as anything, but a lot of it is training and mindset in what you are truly trying to accomplish with your child. This episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast is brought to you by the Legendary Marriage Intensive. Rediscover the heart of your marriage. If you love each other, but you've lost heart, then it's time for the Legendary Marriage Intensive. A beautiful mountain lodge, three days of clarity, purpose, adventure, and renewing your love for each other as you forge friendships and transform your marriage forever. We'll help you look at the story of your relationship with fresh eyes so that you can fall in love all over again and resolve some of those long-standing and recurring conflicts while you craft a clear, fresh vision for the next season of your marriage and your family. Oh, and you'll have some epic adventure in the mountains and a romantic night on the town. It's deep, rich learning, adventure, and plenty of laughter. That's the focus as you forge friendships and build the skills and tools to transform your marriage and your family forever. October 19th through 22nd, Breckenridge, Colorado, and we only have limited space. So find out more and apply at legendarymarriage.com slash intensive. If you have questions, email us at Danielle and Justin at legendarymarriage.com. And now back to part two of our interview with Brian King. I love how you like tried to go at it at a few different angles. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if the first one is just a grunt or just no, or leave me alone. It's like, as a parent, you're relentlessly loving your kid. You're not just going to give up on a grunt. Like you're going to go after it. So I love that tenacity. And there are beliefs and values. There's, there's four core values behind this, my approach, responsibility, resourcefulness, reciprocity, and resilience. And the reciprocity is the give and take relationship. So your kid's trying to isolate and keep you out of it, but your value of reciprocity says, "Uh uh-uh, we're a team. Mm -hmm. We're in this together. So you're telling me that I should let you isolate and leave you alone. That doesn't compute. Sure. So I need to now talk to you and figure out, is this really what you want? Because it seems that it's not working for you. What you essentially want to help your child discover for themselves is that the results you're getting right now with your thinking suck. Right. And you want to con- you want to consider a different way of approaching this. Right. I'm wondering you you your kids are they age in how old are your kids now? They're 19, 15 and 12. Okay, 19, 15 and 12. And obviously, you know, maybe the 19-year-old is able to put it a little bit more into words like how he's feeling and everything and maybe the 12-year-old not so much, but um when you see there's not just depressed behavior or suicidal, but like just 
bad behavior where they're like getting in trouble at school, they're getting in trouble at home. And it just seems like a relentless wave of disobedience and um, getting in trouble. What um, sort of advice do you have for parents that are dealing with that sort of situation? Yeah, that kind of stuff, it's evidence of a skill gap, again, where they're trying to communicate that something's not working, but they're doing it in a way that's not getting them support, it's getting them punishment. Mm. So you have to realize that they're after something, but the way they're going about it ain't working. So they need to tune into a better way of articulating what's not working. Because the school is so reactive and all about submission. The teachers are in power and you're supposed to be the good little future employee and just do what you're told and sit still with your mouth shut. And those are not life skills that anybody benefits from. Right. So while so the teachers are there at school, what, would, what advice would you have for even educators that are listening to this? If there's kids that are chronically getting in trouble, what, sh- what sort of things should you ask them or try to get to the bottom of? Well, so much of it is specific to what the behavior is in the context. Mm-hmm. But in general, I ask things like, okay, when it's my turn, what am I supposed to do? Because again, reciprocity, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm the teacher, you're the student, you're totally separate from me. We are a unit. Right. We can only succeed together. So your turn is you shout out something or you poke your neighbor or you're doing whatever you're doing to be disruptive. Since we take turns, when it's my turn, what do I do? Yeah. So um, it seems like um, specifically you said your kids have Asperger's, ADHD, and the... Um, and Ehlers-Danlos, I'm sorry. Right. I, like, the younger, the younger, yeah, the younger two have the Ehlers-Danlos and my oldest also has the dyslexia. Yeah, is there specific to um, Asperger's or specific to ADHD where you're like, hey, parents, you need to really do this. Are there, would you suggest medications? Do you suggest certain types of therapy or anything like that? Well, my boys take a medication for their ADHD. Okay. I don't take one for mine. Mm -hmm. I use mindfulness and meditation to manage my focus and my anxiety and my my restlessness. And it takes a lot of self-discipline and commitment Mm -hmm. to develop that tool to the point where you can do that. Not everybody's going to put in that kind of work. Sure. And kids don't really have the maturity to do it. So we can't expect them to do it. Right. There are some that will do medication. There are some that will not. There are some that will use exercise to maintain their focus. They'll jog. They'll go to the gym every morning, and that can wake their brain up and give them several hours of really awesome productivity. In school, some kids will be allowed to stand at their desk. They'll be allowed to fidget, and doing things like that can help them focus. But there are so many tools out there that you can utilize to make yourself much more resourceful it's really to each person to decide for themselves what works. Wow. I mean, there's just just a wealth of information there. I'm wondering, um, do you have a lot of these techniques or tools or anything on your website? I have them in my videos. Oh, you have videos on your website. Because I've written, you know, many books on it. But I recently launched a, uh, a membership site, which is CompassionateParents.Solutions. If you go to that, you'll see, and I'm 
it's live. People can enroll. I'm doing an overhaul of it. But what it is, is all the videos step by step of how to do this, how to, what you need to believe, how to change your mindset, specific strategies for behavior, anxiety. And if it isn't in there, I'll create it. You know, I'm, I'm looking to be as comprehensive as possible so the parents can find what they need when they need it. Wow, it's interesting. It sounds like it's not only a tool for the child, but for the parent, for both of them. Absolutely. Because like I said, it's a collaboration. The child is raising the parent as much as the parent is raising the child. So they need to approach this as a team. Brian, I love all what you have to say here. Man, I feel like we've gotten an education in, you know, how to raise our kids here. And I love it. I love all that you're doing and what you're saying here. And um, man, your kids are just amazingly blessed to have you as the expert and these people that are in your membership. And man, I feel like they're probably just getting so much value. And our listeners, they can find you on Comparing compassion parenting dot solutions and do you have a facebook page or any other way oh yes i'm very active in facebook that's the best place to find me twitter on occasion but yeah you know as always start at my website compassionateparents.com or come over to facebook and join the conversation all right, Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. And um, it, we will include all of those um, websites and Facebook links and everything else in our show notes. And have a great day. Oh my gosh, the guy's got grit. Yeah, it just, it seemed like the hits just kept on coming. I mean, when he talked about how out, right out of high school at his time of graduation, he finds out that he has cancer. And man, at that time, the world's your oyster and you're so excited and you're moving out of your parents' house. Yeah. Yeah. And just to get that devastating news that you have cancer. And what I love about his story is that he made the decision that that wasn't going to take him down, Yeah, that that was going to propel him forward into even more greatness. Yeah. You know, it's, it's classic... Um, storytelling, right? There's the hero, the victim, or the villain. We Mm -hmm. all end up choosing one of those roles in any case, in any story in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it always starts with that, that defiant decision. The hero's journey starts with a defiant decision to redeem the pain, to redeem the thing that's happened. I love that. I feel like so many times in our marriages too, we have to make those defiant decisions Mm -hmm. where it's like you could go down this road of like, you know, bitterness or resentment or, you know, just maybe somebody made a huge mistake and you're like, well, we could either shut this down or we can fight harder to make our marriage great. And, um, we had, we had a moment like that too. And we've had a few of them. I I mean, honestly, we've had a few of them. Well, the, the thing is about marriage is like the hits keep coming too. It's like, sure. You, you, you go through these cycles of, Crazy things happen, you make a decision, you make a plan, a vision, and you act on it, and then, you know, inevitably something else comes along, like a job loss or... It's the nature of life. It's just the nature of life. There's always an inciting incident. Sure. Something that that calls the hero into action, that calls the the person, the couple, to, to really step deeper into intimacy and connection or further into withdrawal and isolation. 
And I, I mean, did, those are the only two choices in a marriage. And I noticed that, unfortunately, when he told the story about how his son really started acting out at school, that his wife withdrew. Yeah. And he was the one that his defiant decision was he had to spring into action. He had to make a difference. He had to help out his kid. And that it sounds like that's just who he is to the fiber of his being. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, a spouse is somebody in a relationship. Things get tough and somebody checks out and somebody withdraws. Well, again, I'll, I'll go to the, to the, you know, the deep version of explaining it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a response, fight, flight, or freeze. We all have one of those responses. Mine tends to be freeze. Mm. When I get overwhelmed, when something's just like, it feels like too much, I just kind of stand there in my tracks going, I don't know what to do next. Yeah. I'm usually a fighter. Yeah. I'm like, come on, we're going to do this. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm the, like the battle cry girl a lot of the times. But, yeah. you know, like like you said, that's just who you are and... You know, Brian, man, he's a he's a fighter. He has had to fight for his kids and for his family um, pretty much his. And now he does that for other people's kids. Yeah, he helps other people fight for their families, for their kids and everything. I know. And I love how, um, you know, he's got three kiddos and he was really embracing the idea that imperfection is the norm. And it's so true. It's like we hold ourselves to these super high standards that are impossible to live up to, whether you're a kid, whether you're a parent, whether you're a husband or a wife, you have these standards. And then when they're not met, you can tend to beat yourself up over it. Yeah. And the thing is, is perfection, um, It's not not a great thing. It's not a great thing to espouse to. Perfection (laughs) is the shadow of excellence. Mm. I struggle with this. I always have. Um, I grew up ADHD and and, and that constant um, story about, well, so much potential. And if you applied yourself, you could do it. And so there's this impossible gap of of perfection that kept getting... uh, the idea that I was supposed to bridge that gap got created in my head. Yeah. And so while the, the, the shadow is, is a perfection, it's that notion that it's never right and we can't move forward until it is. Mm. Excellence is right there on the same, on just, it's a razor thin uh, division between the two in mm. so many ways. And so like when, when I'm in that place, I'm constantly checking, am, am I, Am I really pursuing excellence here or am I falling into this shadow of perfection? (laughs) Which you can never live up to. Um, And I love how he was telling his kids that success and being great is knowing that you're going to fall short Mm -hmm. and the resilience to pick yourself back up again. That's what's true success is when you can fail and then pick yourself back up again. And he, he learned that from a very young age. It's like, things suck and we're going to pick it back up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and guess what? Something else is going to come along and you're going to pick yourself back up again. That's the, it's the thing about life. There's always going to be another inciting incident, another mm-hmm. uh, crisis, betrayal, death, disappointment. Something is going to come along. Mm-hmm. And it's always about what are you going to choose to do with it? Mm-hmm. 
you 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 can let it consume you you can let let it drive you to lash out at others or you can choose to redeem it yeah and um there was quite a shocking part when he said that his oldest had tried to commit suicide mm-hmm. and he had broken it down to when someone is experiencing um a very large unmet need um, and they can, you know, every human can experience the full range of emotions. Everybody can be sad, angry, you know, excited, happy, tender, and everything in between. Yeah. But when you are in such a place that you cannot pull out of it, you cannot pull yourself back up again, um, he found that with his son, it was an unmet need that was so deep um, that he couldn't pull himself out. Yeah. And, um, man. I want to say something about this really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Depression is very real. Yeah. It is is a very serious uh, thing. Mm -hmm. And if you or someone you know is in that place Mm -hmm. where... Uh, the way I describe it, because I've I fought with depression over over the course of years. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I kind of best way I can describe it is it it feels like you're laying on a hot sidewalk trying to stand up, but there's a refrigerator laying on your chest. Mm. Emotionally speaking, yeah. Like I want to get up and move forward, but I I just I can't. I don't. I'm, yeah. I don't have it in me. If you or someone you love is in that place, um, please reach out for some help. Right. It, it is not weak. It is not. Uh, less than in any way to reach out for help for depression. It is actually an incredibly courageous thing to do. Yeah. And I like how you're, how you're saying, like, even if it's you that is suffering in that place, mm-hmm. ask for help um, and even ask for what you need from your spouse. Like if you're having a tough time, whether it's depression or whether it's, you know, any anything across the board, remember, you just... Ask for what you need. Because yeah. um, I, I found, you know, I've been married for almost 16 years now. Oh, me too. Woohoo! And even though we've been married this long, I somehow expect that you always know what I need. Yes, you do. <laughs> and it's unfair, really. So no matter if it's a friend. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> it's unfair. <laughs> I just want to tell you. Um, if you need something from me, I would really appreciate it if you just ask for what you need. I may or may not get it. That's but true. You just want me to ask. Yeah, it's best if you ask. I mean, I can still say yes, no, or counter offer, but <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's something we use in coaching. Sometimes we'll say you can say yes or no or counter offer. Um, yeah, so ask for what you need. And I love how he was saying um, bad behavior because every parent deals with a kid that's having problems with behavior once in a and while. And sometimes kids have to deal with parents with bad behavior. Not us. Not mm-hmm. our kids. Uh-huh. Not our kids. Oh, no. <laughs> Never. But I love how he's saying bad behavior is an evidence of a skill gap. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if they're really starting to act out and you just have to be super curious about like, hmm, what's that about? Why, why are they like going over the top here? 
because they don't know how to do this or they don't know how to deal with this emotion or they don't know how to ask for what they need. Um, And full confession, I can do that. You throw tantrums because of a skill gap? I do. I do. Mm. Care to share an example? Well, you know this about me, is sometimes when I get feel like I'm backed into a corner, I can get very defensive. I block them high, I block them low, I redirect. <laughs> and so... There's nothing I can say here that's... <laughs> Just not along. I feel like that's a phrase that I use in almost every episode of this show. What? You say something and then I say, yeah, there's nothing I can say here that, that's safe, that, that's going to work. Well, that's because I'm brutally honest and you're just going along with it, honey. You're agreeing with me. Something like that. Yeah. It's yeah. authentic. It's one of our legendary marriage values. We like to be authentic. So, man, Brian had some had some good insights there that were not only applicable to parenting, but just life in general. Yes. So we have a challenge this week, and the challenge is have a conversation with your spouse about what recurring parenting issues leave you needing to be on the same page. Because, you know, with parenting, sometimes you can... Oh, go ask your dad or go ask your mom. And then you realize, oops, we're not on the same page regarding this issue. Um, Or maybe there's some kind of chronic things going on, maybe bad behavior or um, things at school. Where are some areas you need to be proactive in your parenting? Because, um, I mean, in life, we got to be intentional, you know? Yeah. We got to be proactive. We got to. Be, yes, indeed. Be on top of these kids. Crack the whip. Uh, I don't have a whip. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, have a challenge to have a conversation with your spouse about where you're needing to get on the same page and be proactive. In your parenting. In your parenting. Yeah. And then come join the conversation in our free community on Facebook. Yeah, you can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 036. Um, Just join the free Facebook community. It's a private group for men and women to support, encourage, inspire, and share about transforming marriage from ordinary to legendary. You can find us just by searching for Legendary Marriage Group on Facebook or real quick, legendarymarriage.com slash community. Yeah. Don't forget to jump on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher and rate and review the show so that we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us on the adventure. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.